Here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? something my old English teacher said to me when I was about 13 or 14. He just said, write about what you know. Being honest is what counts. Trying to make the ordinary extraordinary is so much better than starting with the extraordinary. Whereas if something is real for one person, it's touched their life. So what becomes of you, my And I think as a, a creator and a director, it's your job to make an audience as excited and fascinated about a subject as you are. And real life does that. Good evening to you. Good evening, this is Box 39, and we're coming live from the Mighty Calm Radio Towers on 106.6 FM. I am Bill Lawrence, and you're very welcome to the show. And I'm joined on this show by the Enigma that is wrapped up in a riddle and posted through our big flappy radio letterbox. That is Adrian Cohen. And he's down there on, uh, on Studio 4 on the first floor. And he'll be producing our musicologies, our bits of music, once more. Now, uh, isn't it rather a functional and drab studio compared to the gorgeous studio we're in here tonight? Now, this week our show here at Box 39 is all about writers. And it's part of the Guppy Productions Writing Week. So we'll be taking a Box 39-style deep dive into this topic in the company of two award-winning writers, both of whom are based here in North East Essex, just a short typed note from where we sit in Cold Radio Towers. I have to say, as I arrived at the main entrance here in my senior presenter's comfortable courtesy car, uh, provided entirely at Wivenhoe residence expense. I met Adrian, who had also just arrived on his bus that brought him here from his lodgings, disappearing up the high street and um, past Lord David Price's new multi-million pound fish-gutting factory sheds. And as we both gazed in awe, as the moonlight reflected off Com Radio Towers, its glass and steel structure rising high above the beautiful coastal town of like a magnificent, giant, shiny radio love spoon. So what a pleasure it is to reflect upon the recent uh, extension to my senior presenter's contract here at Colm Radio. Disappointing for Adrian, of course, as he was uh, clutching his new zero-hours contract as junior presenter and gutting sheds operations operative. But, well... That's show business. So over the next hour, we'll be pulling back the covers from the bunk beds of the written word to expose the deep, deep foam, stubble-sprung mattress of uh, 
penned composition to discover exactly how written work uh, um, um, gets, gets produced and to reveal what really is involved in the business of writing. So let's open Box 39 once more as we unwrap the realms of the written word mechanism and dive most deeply into the world of writing. Tell me you don't know what love is When you're old enough to know better When you find strange hands in your sweater When your dream boat turns out to be a footnote I'm a man with a mission in two, three editions and I'm giving you a longing look Every day Every day Every day I write the book Chapter one We didn't really get along Bill is a good mate and he means well, but I was a bit miffed when instead of using me as his co-presenter and expert for this show on writing, he dragged a couple of random local novelists in off the streets of Wivenhoe to fill my shoes. No offence, Ian and Angela. But sorry, no one knows more about the proverbial great novel than me, and no one knows more about writer's block either. They say everyone has a great novel in them, and I have had a great novel in me far, far longer than Ian and Angela. For me, it's been since 1979, when I was 15. That's 43 years, and no one has handled these 43 years of writer's block as gracefully and as creatively as I have. Bringing in a couple of struggle-averse guests who have tossed off numerous novels painlessly is too obvious, Bill. This show could have dug deeper. Every day, every day, every day I write the book. I'm giving you a longer look every day, every day I write the book. I'm giving you a longer look every day I write the book. I'm giving you a longer look every day. listening to Box 39's special Writing Week show. And joining Bill Lawrence and Adrian Cohen to discuss all the aspects of writing are two of our leading authors, Ian Hornet and Angela Cairns. So, yes. This is Box 39, and I'm Bill Lawrence. And you just heard from my slightly less well-paid co-presenter, Adrian Cohen. So thank you, Adrian. And this is our show, indeed, about writing. And writers, those who use written words in different writing styles and techniques to communicate ideas with their different forms of literary art and creative writing, including, amongst others, novels, short stories, books, 
and essays. So I am absolutely delighted now to welcome two wonderful award-winning and best-selling writers to Box 39, Ian Hornet and Angela Cairns. Hello, Ian, and hello, Angela. Hello. Hello, Bill. Hello. Well, it's, at this point, I would usually introduce our guests to uh, to listeners with a long-flowing introduction, but this is a Guppy Productions writing week, so I've asked them to uh, introduce themselves in uh, the style of our sister show, Bill's Big Bag of Onions, which has original 100-word stories mixed with rather gorgeous music. So, Ian, please introduce yourself. Okay, well, this is exactly 100 words, because I made sure it was. So, <laughs> born and bred in Colchester, Ian's a retired teacher and former customs officer. In his head, he's also an ex-professional footballer, cricket international and world-renowned golfer. As well as the sci-fi Quarton trilogy, Ian has released a comedy spy series about octogenarian Maggie Matheson. For the record, he bears no grudge whatsoever against Richard Osman, who has written similar style books which sell better. Ian also <laughs> writes 100-word stories, has co-written a play for the Colchester Fringe, and blogs regularly. He's married with two grown-up children who tease him about how long it takes him to text. And there's 100 words, because we'll be checking. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Adrian's on it right now, counting away Good. with his abacus. Well, brilliant, thank you. Quite an extensive biography there. So, Angela. Right, epic fail, because I didn't realise I had to do it in 100 words. So That's here goes, right. this is me, I'm a health practitioner, and I'm an author, and I live in uh, South Wooden Ferrers. Uh, crazy dog lady, uh, as my kids say, and what have I done in writing? I've had short stories published in Yours magazine, I'm an Amazon best-selling author, and I write women's fiction novels. Uh, currently there are three out, and I'm just about to bring out a women's fiction historical novel for the first time. So... That's me. Well, so we've got two people here who are experts, experts on writing, and I'm going to be um, uh, examining the whole process that they go through uh, and, and the whole world of writing over the next hour. So, Ian, very interesting. You, you sort of briefly alluded to some two very different styles of, of, of books that you've produced. You, you know, you're, you produce science fiction, and yeah. then uh, the second sort of group or, or, or series of books is all about uh, an, an old lady who's a, a detective. Uh, well, she's a spy. A spy, um, sorry. Yeah, but you're right, they're very different styles. Yeah. I mean, what happened was I got the idea for the Quarton book, um, first of all, and, and wrote the first one, and then got going on the second one, and got a bit stuck, a little bit... Um, I wasn't too sure where it was going, so I just went off piece really with it and yeah. decided to do something different from an idea which came up at a, a joint class that Angela and I um, attended actually a, a writer's class and uh, this idea was thrown in about a, an old lady and yeah. um, a location and a, she was a spy and um, so I decided to write a book about her and I've done two I've just released the second one so and I, I, I like the comedy stuff yeah. um, very much like the comedy stuff and I probably will continue with that yeah. uh, but the sci-fi stuff I, I look back on those books and I don't know where they came from really <laughs> uh, but I've completed the trilogy and, yeah. and, and thoroughly enjoyed doing them so actually I went back to the sci-fi trilogy finished that after I'd done the first Maggie Matheson right. books so I've kind of got flipped and yeah. flopped between yeah. them and Angela you said you write specifically books for women or they're about women you say you're a women's, women's book well women's fiction's a, a, a genre they aren't uniquely for women there are quite a few guys who've uh, read them as well yeah. but I guess they're they're issue led and um, some of the issues that I explore are women's issues but uh, the first one in particular is a it, one of the themes is bereavement and recovery from bereavement right. 
Uh, it's also uh, about uh, coping with trauma and how that impacts on us and how it comes back and bites us on the bum sometimes when we're not expecting it. And uh, those are themes which are, you know, relatable to both. But they fall into what's yeah. the category that's yeah. we have to categorise. And Absolutely. in fact, it's really difficult because... There are little elements of romance in my books, but there are also some serious issues. Yeah. Uh, there's some general relatable stuff ab about yeah. life. There are definitely a male and female characters in the book. So it's just that that's how they get categorised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we need categories, but they are quite constraining, aren't they? It's a shame. And when I came to, to fit my books into a category I really struggled to do so because I didn't really want to put them in yeah. a box yeah. but yeah. Um, but you know but you that's how to. it goes yeah. yeah okay so we're going to dig a little bit uh, deeper in a, in, a, in a while but uh, let's return to our music and to Adrian uh, downstairs the man who who hosted the Colne Radio presenter Summer Barbecue this year and who told me that due to a clerical error my uh, invitation was mistakenly sent to my ex-employees at Stanway Radio with whom I'm still in uh, considerable levels of litigation following the confusion over a rather large hotel bar bill which was mistaken Mistakenly, mistakenly attributed to me after my week hosting the Stanway Radio Roadshow at East Mersey. the things that has delayed the publishing of the great novel that's been there inside me waiting for 43 years is the problem of word processing, which began in 1979 with a programme called Wordstar. You see, and I don't know whether the likes of Ian and Angela know this, but the only true and proper way to write a great novel is either with pen and paper or with a typewriter. You have to think about every word. You have to be artistically certain before you write each word or type it. No changing your mind. You have to decide and then commit yourself to your words. Redoing a page or a chapter or even a paragraph is just a pain in the ass. This breeds creative focus. A word processor, on the other hand, is too easy. It breeds indecision. You can change your mind 20 times in the space of just the opening sentence of the novel. A problem that I have had now for decades. Aren't they? Aren't they 
is it precisely that's in the box? Okay, so uh, that was by Patty Griffin, and it was called I Write the Book. So, let's have a little think about the lifestyle of writing. And uh, I want to think that uh, this is, uh, with our show, with guests, uh, that are two best-selling authors, remember, we've got Ian Hornet, whose play Saddlesaw uh, has just premiered. He mentioned that. The story of two men on a cycling journey of discovery, and they're equipped with beer and donuts and uh, plenty of emotional baggage. And Angela Cairn, whose uh, best-selling trilogy of Ellie Rose novels published this year. And the series explores the lives of Ellie and her found family through heartbreak, romance and change. So what is the lifestyle of writing? What is the lifestyle of writing? Ian, we'll start with you. Time management. How, how do you manage your time for, for writing? Do you have deadlines? Do you have quotas? Well, when I first started off a, a few years ago, I, I was quite um, tight with deadlines. Well, not so much deadlines, but trying to put in a certain number of hours a day. Um, yeah. I gave up uh, full-time teaching to give it a go, and I wanted to put some real discipline into it. Uh, so I would write for seven or eight hours a day, um, you know, start at a particular time and think like about four or five o'clock it's time to finish. Um, so I did that for, for a little while and then I, I got into a bit more teaching, became available and I started doing that and it just became a little bit more disjointed. So, and, and I'm retired now, so I can do writing whenever I want to do writing. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I do really. I mean, I try and write every day, um, whether it's uh, something connected to my books or whether I'm editing something or if I'm sort of um, trying out a new idea or uh, you know, a hundred word story so you know, I'll try and do something every day yeah. not necessarily at the weekends but I don't, if, if I feel like it at the weekends I do it so yeah, not so much discipline these days but I do like to uh, get a sense of achievement by writing a certain amount yeah. when I'm sort of focused on it Angela, do you, do you change your life enough? And, you know, do you change so you can be productive enough to be a writer? Do you, how do, have you changed your life? Do you have to change your life? Because yeah, I know you have I, a job uh, out of writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I run two healthcare businesses, so I've got a busy job there. But I made a choice, like Ian, to uh, reduce the amount of time that I was in the clinic in order to give me time yeah. to write. Yeah. Um, and I tend to diary out time to write, right. and I, I honour that. So yeah. if... Because to start with, I had very little time, so I had to diary out time yeah. in order to write. So, yeah. and, and I would just sit down at those appointed times and write. Yeah. Um, but I have a little bit more flexibility now, and... Um, it depends honestly what I'm doing. If I'm if I'm into a book, if I'm into a long form book, yeah. then I try to write a minimum of five thousand words a week. Right. And that's a lot. Um, so I I work. You know, that's that's what I work around. Yeah. If if I don't make it, I don't beat myself up. But I'm I'm pretty much into that. And um, and then I love hundred word stories because they're like little snacks of creativity and you can branch yeah. off on different topics so if you're in a long form novel you, you you're set in yeah. you know you're set in that world and yeah. you immerse yourself yeah. in that world so the hundred word stories are, are great yeah. and i like writing kind of three thousand word stories sort of magazine length stories yeah, yeah. or the stories that go into anthologies yeah. as well there's all sorts of other things other than just the creative side of writing that has yeah. to be done as well yeah. so yeah. you do have to edit 
you do have to do some marketing. So I write marketing articles and persuasive copy as well, hooks yeah. for books, the blurb on the back of your book. They're all different styles yeah, of yeah. writing. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be quite versatile yeah, to sure. in what you do. And some of the stuff like the, the uh, magazine stories that have been published in magazines and so on, they help to fund the cost of covers and, of yeah. and editors and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So do you involve other people? And do you have do you have someone that will proofread for you, or you know, um, review for you? Well, if you want to, if you want that done professionally, you have to pay for it, yeah. and it's difficult to sell books. Um, so I haven't gone down that route. So yeah. I am very meticulous with my own editing and proofreading. Yeah. Re- really, really meticulous yeah, yeah. with it. Um, but also, we'll get family members to go through it as well, and with a fine tooth comb, and then I go over it again and again and again. So uh, no, I haven't employed anyone to do it. No. Um, so I've kept it all in house at the moment. Oh, I'm not averse to doing it, but you need yeah. to sell, you know, be able to sell quite a few books to, to pay people. So, and do you, do you either of you have like a, a dedicated space for your writing, Angela? Do you have somewhere that in your house that you know you go to write? You have a writing room or an office? Um, yeah, I I, um, I have got a, um, a a writing desk. I like to write where I have a view, so I like to be able to look out over over something. Um, I actually like my space to be tidy as well. I'm not great with clutter, so um, <laughs> I, I like my space to be tidy when I'm, when I'm writing. Um, and I like good, good light. I think yeah. that's really important. And look, I'm a physio, so it's important to me that I'm properly set yeah, up. So yeah. if, I work, if I'm working on a laptop, it's on a stand and I have a wireless keyboard and mouse. Otherwise, I you know, work on a, um, yeah. a computer. Having said that, I am also quite happy if I'm away, whatever, I will just find myself a corner and I'll just put myself in that space and I can make my own bubble and my space yeah. wherever I am. So when I'm at home, yeah, I have a writing space, but uh, wherever uh, I lay my hat's my yeah, home if I want to write. I presume you're not using old-fashioned handwriting, are you, for these? Ian? Goodness, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an ex-teacher and I was... Um, criticised so much for my handwriting which wasn't a great thing bearing in mind I was writing comments in children's books and things like that so I would never never handwrite uh, stuff and actually I mean I've, I've got a, a laptop that's what I use and it's, it's an old version of Word and it works fine yeah. I mean it's great that you can um, you know cut and paste things around yeah. and yeah. it's simple editing but it, it works works fine well, let's get back to Adrian uh, and have a little bit more music. And uh, in response to some well-founded and recent concerns from listeners, I can confirm that Adrian's security key to the exclusive Comradio's presenter's hot tub on the third floor here at Comradio Towers hasn't been returned to him. Quite rightly, many would say, after CCT footage uh, appeared on TikTok with what appeared to be Adrian naked and vigorously rubbing his little uh, Shih Tzu dog in the hot tub on Christmas morning, something which, for the sake of the uh, rather overworked lawyers that uh, he employs, I must say was an alleged flagrant breach uh, of contempt and contempt of the Kong Radio presenter's code of honour, decency and, of course, of hygiene. I must have got up about 20 to 7, had a shower and had breakfast and uh, had a couple of pieces of toast, you know, forced it down and had a cup of coffee. So it was pouring with rain and I thought, oh God, you know, good old England. 
I get this writer's block It comes as quite a shock And now I'm stuck between a hard place and the biggest rock In my own head consumed I sit back in my room It's like the tapestries of life get tangled in the loom I'm like a butterfly caught in a hurricane My pulse is quickening as my heart plays a new refrain I'm loving Mary Jane Flying with Lois Lane On board a bullet train Don't know yet if I'm glad I came Don't know yet if I'm glad I came Obviously this helped me I think Don't know yet if I'm glad I came Don't know yet if I'm glad I came An elevator pitch, as it is known, in the world of films and publishing is when you get a short window of opportunity to pitch your current project to a film director or publisher during a trip in an elevator in a tall building. In the 1990s and 2000s, I'd begun to think that the impetus that my great novel needed was for someone to pay me in advance to write it, force my hand and vanquish the writer's block, you know? So, I seized my opportunity when, in 2012, I found myself in an elevator with a famous book publisher. I decided to dispense with characters and context and go straight to the notion that there are only seven plots possible in fiction. I told the publisher that my great novel would be both comedy and tragedy, a protagonist overcoming an antagonist, a rags-to-rich storyline, a quest, a voyage and return, and a rebirth, all written with a lovely touch. I gave her my card. We shall see. listening to Box 39's special Writing Week show. And joining Bill Lawrence and Adrian Cohen to discuss all the aspects of writing are two of our leading authors, Ian Hornet and Angela Cairns. So following on from that piece of music which talked about writer's block, I'd like to ask Ian and Angela a little bit about the psychology of actually getting the words out. Uh, and I'm sure the psychology involved. I mean, uh, you know, some people have said you've got to be, you can only write with a pen and paper, but uh, you've mentioned that word processors are used. It must have changed writing enormously to be able to instantly uh, rewrite, um, change. Uh, you know, self editing becomes very easy, doesn't it, now you've got um, word processors? It does. However, sometimes people block themselves they use perfectionism to procrastinate. So they'll edit and edit and edit a tiny bit that they may end up cutting out of the story altogether. So when they edit the whole thing. So I think it's really important to free flow your first draft and don't be tempted to edit as you're writing because the creative brain and the editing mindset are are very, very different. And I think it's really important, we're talking about writer's block, I think it's really important to work on your mindset regularly. I think you can't just suddenly click yourself into a mindset. So I think it's really important to nourish your creativity. So I think stuff like 
some breathing exercises, some meditation, yeah. doing some warm-up exercises. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody would expect to go out and put out a great sporting performance without training and, and warming sure. up. Yeah. And I think writing's exactly the same. I don't know what you think, Ian. Um, I probably should do more of those things that you're talking about in terms of warming up, I think. Um, I, I do tend to just kind of sit down and get straight on with it. And I do tend to edit a little bit as I go along. Yeah. Um, listening to the way you've, you've presented that, I can see the, definitely see the disadvantages. I mean, what, I say edit as I go along. If I'm into, I, I love being into a book, really you know, getting into that long story. And if I'm into the flow of it, I, I find that I do flow quite well with it and, and things, um, you know, the, the story comes out. I will always, when I start the following day, go back and read what I've done the previous day. And there is a danger um, that you can get bogged down in a bit of editing at that stage. And, and I do do that sometimes and maybe waste mm. an hour or two. Mm. Uh, whereas it probably is better just to let it all flow out. Um, well, I, I, yeah, yeah, there's a very interesting. We'll, we'll come back to this in a minute, but I just want to hear from a gentleman called Phil Boast, who uh, does quite a lot of writing for Build a Big Bag of Onions. And, and this is how he writes. Hi everyone, my name is Phil, Phil Boast, and I'm one of the regular contributors of Onions to the Colon Radio Big Bag of Onions show. My particular adventure into the written word began rather by accident and was at first autobiographical. My partner Paula and I having been encouraged to write an account of our adventures in coming to live in Indonesia. The book is called Bahoa Lodge, an Indonesian Affair, which we later adapted for Cold Radio to become the series From Colchester to Sulawesi, which is due for its second season next year. Shortly thereafter, I had an idea for a short story about an event which happened in an English village, and the short story has turned into a 14-book saga, the series being called Ordinary People and the books being between 500 and 600 pages long with book 15 being work in progress. My best writing hours are between 4 and 6 a.m. in the relative cool of the tropical morning and I write for an hour or so most days. By now, my cast of characters feel like real people to me and we have shared a so far nine-year journey through their joys and their sorrows. I don't really edit. I write, read through and move on and I never suffer from writer's block. The books which are partly historical aren't planned but are rather spontaneous in nature and my characters more or less make their own lives. And the joy of writing their lives has now become a constant in mine. Thank you, Phil. I think uh, all of us here in the studio are, are, are rather uh, amazed that you get up at four o'clock in the morning to write, because we're all too busy at four o'clock getting back from the nightclub, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> so I, I just um, I want to continue with that. That uh, what are we going to talk about? The psychology of writing. I'm very interested in it, and in in the editing process as well, because there, there must be an element of self self doubt. Otherwise, you would never edit. 
do you think that's you know mm-hmm. so so at what point do you no longer doubt at what point do you say the edit is done uh, Ian um, how do you know I, th- I think it depends on what I think it's been different for all the books that I've, I've done really I'm, I'm a little bit stuck I was about to say I haven't really had my writer's block but I think I've actually got it at the moment uh, with a, a new project I'm on so I think back to the other ones they have flowed really easily yeah. out yeah. and um, all, all five of the books have flowed out easily and I haven't really doubted too much that they were going to after th- did the first one and it was quite well received yeah. I, I kind of thought well yes I can do this and I got some yeah. confidence from, yeah. from doing that so I think the doubt can come when you kind of get when you go over it too much over and over again yeah. if you keep going over it the doubt just keeps coming yeah. back so um, although I will edit and I will edit thoroughly I probably don't do it too much otherwise it's just going to put all sorts of ideas into my head that this isn't going to be good enough do you let other people edit your work in any way Angela? yeah I do um, I, I have a street team I call them so I've got a group of beta readers who are reading as I go along right. so they're reading chapter for chapter yeah. as, as I go along and they're giving me input which I take or don't take um, yeah. But it, it's really useful. I really listen if they say to me, yeah, that was a bit slow. I was beginning to, you know, I felt like flicking at that yeah. point and so on. So they're very good for telling you about pace and, and uh, content and so on. So then after that, I actually do use an external developmental editor so right. who hasn't seen it at all, yeah. who goes through and it comes back with red ink on it it's a difficult process though it can be like the first time it was very painful because I thought I had it pretty tight you know I'd edited it twice and it had been read by all these beta readers and I thought it was pretty tight and it just came back covered in red ink and I probably cried for two days (laughs) and then one of my beta readers said oh just put your big girl pants on and get on with it you know and and, you know take what you think is useful and and have the guts to push back on what you don't think is useful, and that's exactly what I did. And I think I'm a better writer for letting somebody yeah. else see yeah. it in, in that way. And then just before the book goes out, I've got uh, a great team, including Ian, um, who are what we call ARC readers, advanced, and they get an advanced reader copy. So before it goes out, they read and they pick up the last things that have maybe been missed by the developmental editor, you know, a couple of speech quotation marks that are missing or there's a misspelling um ian's really really great with um punctuation i'm terrible with speech punctuation and he's always kindly explaining to me on the back of a napkin and i have another go and i still get it wrong so yeah so that so yes i i do i i put it out for other people to to look at that's certainly a more complicated process than i have ever imagined i have to say well look uh I just want to know, we've got a quick response to a very large number of emails that have been flooding in, all asking the same question, which is essentially, how many more awards have you won, Bill, uh, for your presenting compared to your co-presenter, Adrian? Uh, so I don't really want to talk about this. You know, I don't want to be boring. Uh, just to say that uh, I have won, uh, I'm a cold radio presenter, get me out of here, four times, and uh, Adrian's never won it. So I'm not really going to talk about it. I mean, four, after all, is a lot more than none, and uh, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to say 4 0. I'll just mention, I think, 2011, 2015, 16, and then again in 2021. But it's a bit boring, really, for me to go on about how I've won four awards, and Adrian's, you know, hardly won, uh, won, won none. It's, it's hardly worth mentioning at all, of course. Uh, fear null, quite zero. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to boast about it. Ian and Angela have been going on about, bless them, but I haven't really been paying attention. Writing multiple novels, as they have, rather makes a mockery of the tried and tested wisdom that everyone has one great novel in them. Writing multiple novels dilutes this, and no one knows which one is the great one among them. Maybe there isn't one. I have been cogitating all this for 43 years, and I have decided that the only way to write a novel is to plan it right down in advance to what every single paragraph will be about, even before you write a single word. Then, and only then, when all the paragraphs have been meticulously planned, do you start writing the novel paragraph by paragraph, and you don't even have to write them in chronological order. The battle is won or lost at the planning stage, and I am currently engaged in this battle. Once I am done, there the novel will essentially write itself. Indeed, we've opened the box tonight, and it's all about writers. And I'm here with uh, two of our local writers, Ian Hornet and Angela Cairns. Now, both Ian and Angela have a connection to a sort of sister radio program of this one, which is, of course, Bill's Big Bag of Onions, and that's a weekly anthology of unique and original 100-word stories. That's not a word more, not a word less, to which they are both great contributors of stories, or we, as we call them, onions. They're the 100-word stories, the onions. So let's start. We're going to start by listening to one of Angela's onions. Uh, Adrian, who boils the onions, thought this one was absolutely brilliant. And, and it was your first contribution to Bill's Big Bag of Onions and instantly made Adrian want you, Angela, to join the Onion Writers Group. So this is uh, Fallen by Angela Cairns. Fallen. 
are the fallen leaves of autumn on misted grass. Russet blushed over yellow, brown and ochre. Red, like the gash of a gaudy scarf across her navy coat, blood oozes and thickens in the crevices of her face. The naked twigs and branches of the tree above her are bent and crooked. Attached, but useless, her leg is bent and crooked too. Thin and dry, it has snapped like deadwood. Faces swim above her, pink, earnest, unknown. They question and probe, drawing her back from the slipping, shifting haze into focus and pain. She has fallen. Well, it's quite a powerful piece, isn't it, that one? Very enjoyable. Now, where on earth do you get the inspiration from that, Angela? Right, well, that came from lots of different bits and pieces. Um, at the time, we were looking at psychogeography, so which is a form of writing where you, you wander and you incorporate what you see and how it makes you feel. Yeah. And... It was autumn, which is a favourite season, and I, I love all the colours in, in autumn. And I actually saw a lady fall. Now, I, right. I don't know whether she, whether she broke her leg. Uh -huh. um, I thought I was going to be the first, first aider on the scene, um, but in actual fact, there was an ambulance that literally turned the corner and stopped, and the paramedics got out, so okay. I didn't need... So it was, it was all of those things together, really. And what I love about 100-word stories is that there's no excess baggage right. and it makes them really powerful. Yeah. And then added Adrian's uh, narration and yeah. the sound effects that he put on. I mean, I was so thrilled when I heard yeah. how different it sounded yeah. with the sound effects in. So, yeah, yeah. amazing. Okay, so before we talk a bit more generally about the engines, it's your turn, Ian. Uh, we've got one of yours coming up. Now, Adrian says this one created a real challenge for him because uh, it was the first time uh, and the only time, I think, that two actors have voiced the same onion. Uh, and quite a challenge. And uh, so Adrian and Yvonne do a two-hander with this one. So uh, a two-voiced onion. This is The Meditation by Ian Hornet. Deep breaths, close your eyes, aware of the space around you. He loves meditation. Relax, follow your breath. He's really relaxed. Clear your mind. Mind's clear. Nothing to think about. Nothing at all. his name and out got it and in two nil and out lost again and in that email's worrying and out 
sausages, maybe. And in. Brexit. And out. Or was it Tim? And in. Could wedge the gate. And out. Or a nice bit of fish. And out. Rain later. And open your eyes. Why does he bother? <laughs> that's, that's really different. And what's the inspiration behind that one? And where did that well, come from? That's what happens to me when I meditate. It's not. Far, it's not far <laughs> off that. I mean, I have tried. I've done meditation for a little while, and yeah. um, my mind just goes all over the place. Really. Yeah. Um, so the inspiration was not to say those topics and things, but it's really hard to meditate. You have to concentrate really hard. Yeah. And I'm not very good at concentrating when it's really quiet around me. Yeah. Uh, my mind goes all over the place. So. Um, I thought it, just ma- it would make a nice, uh, a nice onion. What I really like about that, though, is the way that they, they read it. And Angela mentioned this before about how the yeah. you know, how it's interpreted, really. Because I, I didn't know they were going to do it like that. I mean, obviously, there's there's two parts to it: the breathing and yeah. you know my own thoughts. But I think you mentioned that. I think that's the only onion that's been done with it as a double head of yeah. radio on it. Yeah. And it, and it works really well. And it elevated it from being. Something quite fun and enjoyable to yeah. to a really good onion, I think. I think the, uh, when we talk about onion, we we, we uh, refer often. Adrian talks about boiling the onion, and he does take the story and he does do something to it. He changes it. Yeah. I mean, it's a very very much part of the finished thing. Mm-hmm. Is Adrian and Yvonne uh, under Adrian's production? Um, and you know, I'm not really letting out any secrets, but there's about uh, seventeen thousand kilometres between the two of them when they are producing these. Mm. Yeah, you know, so, uh, there is the. That these are being produced on the other side of the world, although Yvonne's in in in, in the UK. So, well, what makes a good onion then? It's got to. Um, I think the onion has. It's got to grab you. Um, it's got to. It's got to be a whole story. Yeah. And I think it's got to have a rhythm to it of some kind to, to take you through it and I, I don't know whether people are surprised in fact that those stories were just a hundred words because they seemed like more yeah. don't they so yeah. I think it's really important that the, the wording is very very precise to conjure exactly the image that you're trying to create well I've talked to people about onions and, and uh, they said well how do you manage to do it in a hundred words that would be most people's instant thought is that that is the difficult bit. Do you, do you find that the difficult bit, getting to 100 words? Or is it finding the story or finding a rhythm or finding um, a beginning, a middle and an end? What, what, I think what, once, you, once I've got an idea for something, I, um, it's fine. I don't have any problem getting enough words. You know, 100 words isn't many words at all. But no. um, you know, trying try to get it down, um, I, I don't have any problem getting it down. I, I mean, no. I tend to start with about 150 and get yeah. it down to 120 yeah. and, and gradually get it down. And then you're trying to... to, to to think where you can save words and things yeah. and it, it can limit your, your creativity to some extent because you're going to have to you need some good words in there to make it powerful make it a good, a good story and you're going to have to lose some of those inevitably you've got to lose some of those but I actually find that also uh, stimulating as well because you've then got to find other ways of, of doing it so uh, 100 words in no ways limits my creativity there's no compromise no no no, and I, and I think it really helps long form writing does as it? well. Yeah. I think it does, mm. because if you're if you're struggling with a piece, yeah. if you try and condense it, then your idea down to that hundred words, yeah. you suddenly realise what's important about what you're trying to say. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. You can you can take out whole phrases and you realise you haven't changed the meaning at all. And in mm. fact, what you've done is you've intensified it. Yeah. You've 
you know, you've condensed it, made it richer. So I think it's a really, really useful writing exercise. I, I love it. I love doing it. And it's it. A quite a democratic process. Anyone can write these, can't they? Yeah. Just, you don't you have to have be an, a writer as yeah. a, a, to write an onion, do you? No, you just you have an idea and you put it down. And as Ian said, you can get it down in, in 150 and then yeah. start looking at what can be shed without losing the flavour of the of the piece the more you write the closer you get to 100 words though yeah I mean I've I've got it down sometimes and thought oh I'm 103 right I, I need I, to use a few I need to lose a few crutch words like that yeah, or yeah, really or yeah. whatever yeah. Do you, do, has there ever been a time when you just abandoned an onion un, unfinished so I can't do this yeah I, well I've got two at home I've abandoned yeah. And um, I was trying to think, you know, why, why have I abandoned them? And I, I was thinking, is it, is it the idea that's wrong or is it the way that, it's, um, yeah, that I've originally written it? Yeah. And I think, it's, I think it's the idea. I just don't think it's punchy enough. I don't think, that, I don't think it's a good enough story in, in yeah. either of the ones. That I've, I've, I've still got them on, on my Word document. I might go back to them another time yeah. and see if I can do something. But I prob- think about it, I probably won't. Probably the idea wasn't good enough to start with, so... And listening to the shows, there have been a uh, hundred shows uh, this week, actually. Uh, it marked the hundredth show. I think you can, from my point of view, I can, I can almost tell an Ian Hornet onion now, I think. <laughs> so how many have you say you've written? Well, uh, I've written 75, but I don't yeah. think they've all been broadcast. Uh, right. I don't think they've all been on. So, yeah. um, and there's a couple on there which I decided not to, to yeah. submit. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's interesting the styles, isn't it? Because we, yeah. we see each other's onions as well. That yeah. kind of goes around on a WhatsApp group beforehand, yeah. and, and when you listen to them, you can you can see people's styles with them, and, and that, that's nice. And I think my ones have probably got a style to them. I, I, haven't, I, haven't, been, I haven't been many serious ones. I can't like. No, I, think, I would say yours. <laughs> do you have a, a, a quite a thick streak of humour running through yours? I like it because the onion format sorts um, suits that really. I mean, yeah. I've, I've got this onion um, which I, I, I'm very proud of, where I thought of the the um, the punchline and then sort of works back from there. So I had this idea that the punchline was going to be with fronds like this who needs an enemies and it was to do with so I wrote a story about saving the seaweed so I thought so I just worked backwards from that yeah. you know, and, it, and it, it, it kind of works so the humour it's like a punchline in a, in a joke to some extent so um, I do like the serious ones as well actually I need to do more of those because they're good fun. Okay, well, in response to uh, your, your suggestion uh, earlier, Angela, of, of your trouble with punctuation, here's the, the Vampire Weekend with a song called Oxford Comma.
I've come to realize that writing your one great novel is 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration, and 10% details. <laughs> I, I love that one, 10% details. Uh, that's the sort of lovely stuff I want to write. Uh, here's another one. Uh, I have written a book called Reverse Psychology. Yeah, don't buy it. <laughs> My novel is, is going to be full of gems like that. Both wry smile funny and maybe funny haha too. Carefully stitched into the plot. Anyway, where was I? Yes, it's all about a writing regime. And I've spent 43 years honing mine down. Allocate some time every day to your writing. Make yourself do it. But then again, don't force it. If it doesn't come naturally, give yourself the day off. This regime has served me very well. It's about deliberation, discipline and direction. My wife once said she was fed up with me always getting my directions mixed up. So I packed my bag and write. <laughs> it's another gem. It's another gem. Just my time. No, your Hello there. That ends rather suddenly. That caught me by surprise. So, uh, the sort of uh, essence of the Oxford comma, I'm sure we know, and, and that song is that, uh, like, grammatical errors are quite insignificant. That's that's the thing they're putting forward. So, we'd all agree with that, would we? Or are we uh, very strongly in favour? I was a teacher, so I've taught writing and uh, a, lot, a lot of it. And um, children have to learn how to punctuate and do grammar and neat handwriting and spell and create and creating is probably the hardest part of that to some extent so you've got to have some structure to writing because people need to be able to read it and understand it um, and if it's really badly written I think that can put people off yeah. and it's harder sometimes to see the quality of the, the creativity side of it if it's being masked by other things however it's still you know, I've, I've read lots of uh, writing from children which has been really creative and you know that you can celebrate that and you should quite rightly celebrate it and you shouldn't let those things stop you writing and that's the message yeah. I, I would say to children in schools and things that as a teacher you've got to teach you these things but also write just write, write, write and get your creativity out there Okay, well, look, just before uh, we're time disappearing quickly, we've got a few texts coming in. Uh, the first text is from Mango Dread from Shrub End. And uh, Mango says, I love writing. I uh, often write down my great ideas that come to me after me and my wife Peachy have been on a bit of a heavy night out with our friends Glenn and Pippa from Chelmsford. So uh, Peachy has said that I should put them into a book. I've looked into self-publishing a book through Amazon. I would call it Mango's Chutney. So self-publishing seems such a brilliant way of getting uh, art content out to the world, but if anyone can do it without any form of regulation, is it a toxic exercise? Is it toxic exercise that anyone can do it? There's no self-regulation? Or is it a wonderful thing? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful thing because I think it has taken away the gatekeepers of who can write and what can be written. And I think the proof of the pudding's in the eating. So you can self-publish something, but if it's not of a standard and people aren't enjoying it, it'll disappear because there are millions of books on yeah. Amazon, quite literally. So I think that it's a fallacy to think that you can produce shoddy work. I think you have to produce 
work that is to the standard of a traditionally published book in terms of correctness and we're talking about grammar and so on, the quality of the story, the quality of the cover. I think it's all got to be immaculate. So, agree. Okay, well, thank you, Mango. I look forward to Mango's Chutney coming out. Great title. Yeah, it is. So we've got one last text uh, from Donna from Norwich. Donna's texted in to say uh, she's been listening to the show as she helps her neighbour, Rory, who's a fireman, clear out his house as he's moving to London soon. Earlier she says she sorted uh, his box room and later after the show she's going to join him in the attic to have a good rummage in his trunks. So thank you so much, uh, Donna. Uh, lovely to hear from you again. Um, thank you very much, Angela, and thank you, Ian. We've been by time, as always. It's been delight to have you with us. And good luck with the writing, good luck with the books, and um, they're all available, aren't they? And usual, all good booksellers, such Certainly. as the Red Lion Bookshop, of course. Yes. In Coltrane yes. High Street. Always yeah. give a plug to Joe's and wonderful bookshop there. And uh, you've got an event coming up there soon, haven't you, Angela? Yeah, I've got a book launch party I did a I did a quick release over the summer of the three books in the series, and I just felt like I wanted to celebrate with Brilliant. everybody. So, and yeah. keep an eye open for uh, your play, which will be coming to a fringe festival near you soon. Well, that'd be there. wonderful. We'd love to take it to other places. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can highly recommend that if you do see it being advertised. Okay. Please go. Okay, so this has been Box Thirty Nine coming live from Studio One at Colm Radio Towers on one hundred six point six FM. And thanks again to my uh, guest writers. Ian Hornet and Angela Ken. So from high up here, on Studio One, on the fourth floor of Colm Radio Towers, looking out over the full and fertile lands of North East Essex, it's time for us to close Box 39 once more. Be seeing you. Paperback
39 is a Guppy production for Colm Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. 